Hello and welcome to the At YouTube Podcast, episode number 50, a podcast where we talk all things U2, featuring the staff of AtU2.com. I'm your host, Chris Enns, and for this special EP episode, we've got an interview that Matt McGee and myself did with Andy Green from Rolling Stone. Andy had recently interviewed uh, The Edge, Adam Clayton, and Willie Williams about U2's upcoming Joshua Tree tour, and so we picked his brain about what songs he thinks they'll play, the promotional method for a unique tour like this, fun stories he's had interviewing the band over the years, including a really fun tale of actually ditching the band to go see the tour instead of interviewing the band when he had the chance. Well, I should mention that in the spirit of uh, Rolling Stone and rock and roll, there's a couple of S-bombs that uh, slipped through the sensor meter. Hope you enjoy the interview. We'll see you again on the next episode where we'll continue our album-by-album series looking at Songs of Innocence. First of all, welcome to the At YouTube podcast, and it's very good to have you on the show. And I know there's lots of uh, YouTube fans who've read your recent interviews and articles with band members and Willie Williams and stuff, and are excited to sort of hear, interested to hear what uh, your insider look into the the mechanisms and the, <laughs> the machinations of U2 is. But uh, by way of sort of going back a little bit, I'm just curious, where and how did you first discover U2, the band? Yeah, I discovered them a bit late in life for a rock fan, I guess. I was think I always knew about them. The thing that first struck me was the VMAs in 97 when they played Please. Oh, nice. So I came in. So it's weird. It was kind of during Pop Mart, which was, I know, not their high point of their commercial career. But I guess with Octoon Baby, I was 10 years old. So I think it was kind of the first album where I was really buying new albums. And I heard Please live, and it sort of blew me away. And I went out and bought Pop, and I, I loved it. I mean, it, it remains one of my favorite U2 albums. I have a poster of it. I, yeah. <laughs> that was one of our follow-up questions. What, what is your favorite uh, U2 album? So, You know, it, it's hard to separate ones that you like when you were young. I love Octoon Baby. I love Zeropa. I love War. But there's something about Pop. And even though it has some of their worst songs, that the Playboy Mansion has aged horribly. Uh, and whatnot. And I, I don't like Miami all that much. And Staring at the Sun was better live. I, I still am really fond of it. I think Gone is my favorite U2 song, maybe. I love discotheque. Uh, so I, I might be a contrarian and say pop. I don't know, Andy. We, we do um, we do this big fa- online fan survey every few years, and pop. Yeah. Uh, it's 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 never the like Octung Baby and Joshua Tree are the obvious you know favorite, right. but pop is always always number one as most underrated album. There's a legion of fans that are very vocal about pop, and they want you two to play more pop songs live in concert. So you're not alone by any means. Yeah, there's just something about it. And the fact that they don't love it and that Larry didn't like it, it's almost like this forbidden thing that you're not supposed to like, which makes it more attractive. <laughs> and they keep remixing it. And it's just sort of, I don't know, there's, there's something about it that's always appealed to me. I was going to say, yes. Yeah, so I got way into pop, and then, God, I got a CD bootleg of the Pittsburgh Pop Mart show, this awful-sounding thing. Oh but that was gosh. the first place I'd heard a lot of the older songs was on this awful CD bootleg that was like $45 in my record store. And I was super <laughs> bummed that I, that, I, that, that I missed Pop Mart, but that got me way into it. And then, God, you know, the sweetest thing happened. I didn't see them live. I was a freshman in college when they put out Elevation. I guess it's called uh, All You Can't Leave Behind. And I got really amped up. I was in the fan club, and I bought tickets to like nine shows. And I, I flew to Miami and saw the tour opener. Nice. And, um, yeah, I mean, I was 18 or whatever and blew my mind away. And then I saw four straight shows during finals week my freshman year. I drove to Pittsburgh. <laughs> I was in line all day. I got in the heart. Uh, then we did, we did Cleveland before that we had Columbus, we did Kentucky. I flew to, I was in Chicago for the third and fourth night when they did, they did out of control and, and like TikTok again, I went crazy. Uh, so that really got me, I became a super, super fan. I'd say in 2001 on the elevation tour, I just kept going to more and more shows. (laughs) That was a great tour. Yeah, no, it was super exciting, and they, you know, and they were back. I mean, it was finally the thing I liked because I was so into them in like '99 or whatever, you know, when they weren't even around. Did you see any of the shows um, post 9/11 in at Madison no, Square Garden? It, it killed me. At, I was at Kenyon College. I was in Gambier, Ohio. 
I had a car. We almost drove to Canada to see one of them. It was on a Saturday, <laughs> but the timing was just awful. So no, I didn't see any shows there after that. I would have loved to because they started playing Please again. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's the number one song I love to hear is Please. At, at least once they play. Uh, so no, I didn't see him again until the Brooklyn show in by the bridge they did in 2004. So by way of throwing a little plug in, you should, is there an Andy account on tours.atu2.com where you've tracked your <laughs> U2 concerts that you've been to? <laughs> what? Yeah. I think I did fill out a form where I can see all my shows. So yeah. Okay. There oh, you there. go. <laughs> Perfect. I was going to say, we're going to have to, we're going to have to give him a link if he doesn't have it that way. We, so, I mean, so, so Andy, your, your U2 fan card is well established here. Yes, yes. Right. I mean, this is this is not like you're just you're just not like no, dabbling. I, I, have this, the, I have the CD bootlegs. <laughs> I, I bought them. You know, I wanted the fortunate sun cover, which is the worst thing I've ever done. I have happiness is a warm gun on CD. I have all that shit. I have a lot of 80s bootlegs. I can talk about about self-aid. <laughs> And when they they played my hometown, you know, I can get and when I, I can get into real minutia shit, I know. That's awesome. Yeah, <laughs> that's well. Like I, I was, uh, I'll just repeat this for listeners because uh, I was telling Chris this when you, um, Andy and I first chatted the day after the band crashed our party. And I think Andy, you might have like reached out to me on Twitter or somewhere and said, you know, can we can we talk? I want to you know do a story on them showing up at the party, blah blah. And so I was like, uh, you know, yeah, like cool, it's Rolling Stone, but I'm like, you know, does this guy understand how big a deal it is and all this sort of? And then we talked, and I was like, oh my god, Andy is like a total fan. He under he's like the you know as big a YouTube nerd as anyone. So it was, it's I mean it's really cool that you're and so. We, you know, the fan reaction, I assume you got a lot of tweets over the last, what, yeah. couple of weeks. The, the edge, the edge, the edge piece went out, what, two, three weeks or so ago. And then Adam and Willie were more recently. And I, I mean, you had to be getting a lot of tweets from fans just really yeah. enjoying the questions you asked. Yeah, I can think of very few articles I've ever done that have gotten more fan thank you tweets than those. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I, and, and uh, you know, I've, I've been on staff for 13 years. I've done a lot of articles, but I think there's, you know, there's such a huge U2 cult. I think a lot of people, they don't realize not only are U2, like they're one of the biggest bands in the world. They have one of the biggest cult audiences in the world too. It's sort of rare. There's a band that both has huge mainstream appeal and a huge cult. You know, there are huge groups like the Stones or something, but there's not a huge like web following of Stones fans. You know, it's not the same thing. Um, so yeah, it was very nice to get so much feedback for, uh, for just three interviews. Yeah. Is there anything that didn't get included in the online pieces that you're allowed to share anything that like an editor chopped out because they thought it was too nerdy or anything like that? No, I mean, in the print story, it was chopped down a lot, but for the online, I, I used every single word. I don't think I took that. I mean, I guess at the very beginning, I was talking to Edge A about the weather and whatnot. Um, but besides that, I tried to really get most every word in. I'm a firm believer in an, in an online, you know, if you're talking to somebody big and you have as much room as you want on the web, to just go along. So even when they're rambling about something, I kept it all in. It was hard was I knew about this tour, like, two months before they announced it. So it was really painful to just walk around knowing that and to them, they might not be able to, I talk about it. And I should, I should, I should also mention, um, just, just to, in case anybody gets suspicious, uh, we, you know, we on at you two, we reported several of the rumors of the tour, yeah. like in the, in the two weeks before the announcement. Yeah. And, and I think, I think we nailed everything we reported and I, in case, anyone is wondering i just want to confirm that andy is not our source on those rumors no, i don't want no, him no, to no. i told nobody but i will i will give the backstory uh, <laughs> it, it was their publicist they came into our office at least two months before the announcement possibly two and a half months or something crazy and their cares the end were casually talking to them all off the record about next year and they're going through all their bands and these new albums and they just can't just say oh yeah and you two are 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 doing a tour that's for the joshua tree and i was like wait what <laughs> And they go, yeah, they're playing it straight through. And I was like, wait, what? I, 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 I was like, what? Say it again. And they said, yeah, they're <laughs> tour for the Joshua Tree. They're going to play it straight through. They're playing stadiums. And I tried to just stay calm. But in my mind, I'm like, oh, my 
God, you know. <laughs> and it was like Halloween or something. I don't know. It was forever ago. So it was agony to walk around with that, knowing people were just going to flip their shit. Because then I Googled it, and I searched on Twitter, and there was nothing. So I was like, God, like, no one knows this. So it was really <laughs> difficult to not tell anybody that for so long. <laughs> it's just like torture, I would assume. It was torture because, you know, you know, I read the forums. I've been on at YouTube 10 billion times. I went on there in high school, you know, so I know the fan community wants to know it, but, you know, I couldn't reveal it. So and then I spoke to Edge a few weeks before the announcement. So I talked to him about it. I had to, I had to sit on that for a long time. You know, it was. It was not fun. The public doesn't know the torture of being a journalist, right? <laughs> Yeah, you know, when you make a deal, you, you make a deal, and if you break that deal, you know, you're... Oh, yeah, you're out then. You're you're just... Banned. Yeah, yeah, so, and you can't, you know, you can, and and you can't do that. So, it was very nice to, to finally post it when you finally, when it goes out that second on Twitter, and you just watch the traffic spike. It's like, oh, finally, you know, people can know about it. <laughs> That's awesome. So, yeah. so you as a fan, so you were, you know, just a, a wee little kid in 1987. So, are you excited to see this? Oh, I can't wait! I'm super, super psyched. I love Exit. It's a song I've been dying to hear live just forever. Uh, yeah, I mean, I love you too. My frustration with their concerts has always been it's always the new album and the biggest hits. And that doesn't leave that uh, that 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 doesn't leave a lot of room for much else. So this is finally you're guaranteed all six or seven of the songs that they're going to play. In the interview with Willie, you mentioned uh, quoting him. You said so many reviews will have a little go by saying, "Did they have to play so much of the new record?" Mm-hmm. And you know, obviously, as a YouTube fan, you you're partial to them or whatever you might be. But as someone who reviews a lot of live music in general, just through your writing and, and your mm-hmm. work, do you, how good a job do you think you two does at balancing that like new old? Cause fans sort of feel like, well, I guess it depends on the fan, right? <laughs> Some fans think, why isn't there more old stuff? Why isn't there, why is all the new stuff? And vice yeah, versa, I guess. No, but how do you, I'm fine with hearing like most of the new album. I want to hear that, but I think they think they have too many must plays. I think they think, well, we got to play pride and we got to, play I Will Follow, and we got to do it without you. And then when you get through that, there's not a lot of room. And that's why I was so excited for the last tour, the idea of the two nights. I was thrilled with that. I'm like, God, finally, I think that's brilliant, dude. Two different sets. And then I was bummed out that they killed that. Uh, I just think that they're, you know, as I discussed with Adam and Edge, that they're in an impossible situation. Most of the audience just knows the hits. You know, I'd say maybe 75% of the people at an average show, they know 15 songs, maybe. And if they don't hear it, they're pissed off. So it's hard to not cater to that. I was, I was, I remember on the 360 tour, um, this is my favorite. Like, I would love, to, you know, I, I'm sure all three of us, we would love to hear these songs that are super rare, never get played, all that sort of stuff. And... You know, I'm in that boat too, but you know, for me, the you know, going to a U2 concert, the audience vibe for me is almost as important as what the band is doing on, on stage there. Because if you've got a dead audience or something like that, it really just I think I think U2 senses that and it sort of kind of you know, there, there's sort of like a give and take there. And when, when the audience is great, the band gets better and vice versa. And I just, I remember I, the, the 360 tour, I went to see both of the shows in uh, New Giant Stadium, uh, East Rutherford there. And that's when they were, that was the fall tour and they were playing uh, Your Blue Room, right? Which right, nobody yes. knows, right? Nobody knows that song unless you are like yeah. this Uber U2 fan. And the first night of the two shows, I was up in the seats, second hundred, uh, second level um, with my son. And that song started. And, if, you know, so my son and I get really excited. And everyone around us in every section, like, you know, you can look two or three sections to each side of you. Everyone either sits down or they leave to go to the bathroom or get food. My son and I were the only two people standing up. That, and it just drew the just completely drew the the life and and you know out of the show i loved hearing it but yeah like nobody else knows that stuff yeah and the band feels that and when you can just watch the crowd just deflate and go to the bathrooms and get yeah. their phones it's hard to not not to to be bummed out about that i mean i've seen mick jagger always said that he hates playing to blank faces 
you know, there's so much reward for playing satisfaction or for playing where streets have no name. And there's so little reward for playing refugee or something, you know, that uh, it's just when you're playing stadiums or, or, or even arenas, it's tough. At the same time, I wish they would, you know, sprinkle in one a night or something on the B stage on the last tour, be a bit more adventurous. It was so fun when they played trash trampolina and the party girl out the garden. You know, just a few more sprinkles would be nice, but I understand that they really can't do a deep cut show or play a bunch more rarities. Andy, didn't the Rolling Stones at some I don't follow the Rolling Stones very closely, so I'm going to rely on you to know this. Yeah. S- several years ago, didn't they have a tour where they did? They would go to a city and they would do both a club show yeah. or maybe just an arena show and a stadium they, show, and like the little they, show was for the. They build it as that, the small, medium, and large tour. They said it would be like buying underwear or something. It, it comes with small, medium, and large. And they did it in Boston and New York and Chicago, maybe, but 90% of the tour was still like stadiums or playing arenas. Was and it? even the club shows were full of hits. <laughs> I could see, I mean, that to me would be like one solution out of this problem is you announce your tour and say, all right, we're going to play the big venues and this is going to be, you know, the you know, we're going to play the hits and this and that sort of stuff. It's going to be, you know, a regular U2 show, but we're also going to do some of these smaller theaters, you know, 2000 seats or whatever. And we're going to really dig in and do our rarities on these shows so if you don't want to hear songs you've never heard then don't come to this one this is for the diehards and i just I, to me that that always seemed like a logical yeah. potential way to, yeah. to, to handle I, that. i would love that too i just think the problem is if a band like you two announces a show at a theater or a club it's just pandemonium and tickets are being scalped for five thousand dollars yeah that's true and that's, that's true. there's, there's yeah. chaos outside and you've got to step in almost and sort of say that all tickets are are going to be will call and then everybody's furious and the guest list demands are through the roof it just becomes absolute hell and it's almost becomes not worth it i was gonna say that when they played when they played irving plaza in 2000 it was supposedly just a huge clusterfuck to uh, get in and fans outside. And so many fans are so disappointed when they can't get in. Yeah. You almost have to do like a week of air quotes club shows <laughs> to appease all the, the, just the fans who would still go to a club show. Uh, and never mind those who just see it as an event to be at, whether they love you too or not, it's just to see them up close, I guess like that. So, um, but thank you from all the, uh, Acrobat and Drowning Man fans for asking about those rare songs that they haven't played. <laughs> Yeah, I've been dying to ask them about that stuff for years. I've had interviewed Edge a couple of times, uh, but never where I could really just have time to talk to him finally. You know, I was back I was backstage at opening night in Vancouver in twenty fifteen. I guess the it was the day before the the first concert, but I had twenty minutes. I had just twenty minutes with Bono at and the Edge. And Bono just talks. So I'd have one question. <laughs> I, you know, I was, I was, I was marched backstage, and they told me, "Look, they, they told me, look, it's a really tight schedule. They've CBS News here. There's an HBO crew here. You have 20 minutes to the second, and and we're going to enforce that." And I said, "Okay, great." You know, and I had two pages of of the magazine to fill. So I get walked into the, this room. I sit down with them, and they're like, "Where are you from, Andy?" And I go, I live in Brooklyn. And Bono goes, ah, Andy Green from Brooklyn. His brother wanted to be a journalist, too. And he just starts spewing this whole fake story of my life. And he's laughing. But, like, meanwhile, the clock is ticking. I'm like, Sean, like, shut up, Bono. I want to ask a question. About this. <laughs> Not that, you know. um, and, you know, it was really weird to just, my blood was boiling. I love him, but he just, you know, he filibusters. <laughs> and, and he was sipping tea. He was so casual. But I'm like, Bono, I have 20 minutes. I have two pages to fill. I flew here from New York. I'm in freaking Vancouver. <laughs> just let me talk to you. Uh, so I, I had on my questions then. I was, I was going to ask about Acrobat and Drowning Men then. But I asked three questions and Bono just filibustered. You know, I still got good stuff, but it wasn't. 20 working. minutes and you got three questions? Well, I, wow. I maybe got like three yeah. questions. Uh, what I what I what I learned eventually was eventually I, I they gave me a sign of two minutes left and I'm like oh shit I have so much to get to so I just turned towards the edge I looked him in the eye and I did the rest of the interview straight to the edge I just totally ignored Bono because I knew Edge would be more concise <laughs> so it was really funny I was forced to just pretend Bono like didn't exist and only interview the edge because otherwise I was completely screwed. <laughs> <laughs> that's one of the questions I actually had for you is in this process of like, you know, you're talking to Willie Williams, Adam yeah. and the edge 
do you is that a request for you through the publicist or do they just say trot out okay adam's going to talk to you willie will talk to you or you know is there what's the well, we, well we asked for everybody the first thing we said was who can talk you know we would like bono and, and the edge um and they said great the edge is going to call you like tomorrow and i go great you know so i interview edge then we're like okay well we're well, well we're going to post that on the website on the day of the announcement but the issue is, is going to be out for like for like two and a half weeks so by the time of the issue we would love more than just what's online so so we like somebody else and they go great adam will call you in, in a week and i go awesome um, and then we asked for Bono. They said that he wasn't available. And they said, is there anybody else not in the band? And I was thinking Guy Siri, but I've talked to him before. So I, 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 I asked for Willie and they said, great. And then, you know, I think I, I, I figured three interviews was sufficient for a, for a story. It was in the rock section. Oh, maybe with Willie's interview. Um, just one other thing I kind of smiled at it. just in that, in light of that, I guess the, the, where he says, uh, let me just pull it up here quickly. Um, where you, or you said, I'm looking at a seating chart right now is the B stage in the shape of a tree. And then he kind of responds, is that commercially yeah. available? And like, as if he's not sure what he's yeah. supposed to say or not. And how the, that must be a bit of nerve. I'm sure Willie is very used to this by now, but like, you know, he doesn't want to spill beans that he's not supposed to and kind of being a bit cagey, I would guess in, in conversations, trying to make sure he's not revealing too much. Yeah. No, yeah. They, uh, yeah. That was definitely funny. Cause you know, they're terrified to be the person that will leak something out. You know, they want to talk to you if they're told to, but they don't want to be the guy that says something that, that he shouldn't, but it, but it was on Ticketmaster. It was, it was in the shape of, of a tree. So he, so that was pretty funny when we were talking about that, you know, cause the stage is still somewhat of a secret, you know, which is often all, which often is until opening night. One of the things, um, Andy, I, and if you've been paying attention to the conversation on Twitter or, or forums and what have you, um, one one of the things fans are talking about is, and you asked Adam about this. Is this a legacy tour, right? You know, it's like what is you two? What is you two doing? They've always been this forward-looking band. They've never, you know, gone back and and celebrated, uh, you know, an album like this. Where do you fall on the spectrum of that question? Well, it's a difficult question. I mean, yes, it's a legacy tour. It's an anniversary tour. It's their biggest album. They're doing it straight through. Uh, it's selling like crazy because of that. But I think there's no one that doesn't do this stuff. That Bruce Springsteen just spent a year on the road for an album from 1980, you know, uh, and Roger Waters and like just everybody doing this. And if you look at where the Stones, about where they were at 40 years into their career, that was 2002 or whatever. You know, they've been they've been a nostalgia band for 25 years at that point. Uh, so the fact that you two went as long as they did not doing this is what's astounding to me. It's not astounding that they're doing it now. And I think it's a good way to sort of remind people why they're great and use it to sort of boost up the next album and next tour. So if they stayed in this zone, for, if they permanently moved to a, be a nostalgia band, if they became the Who or something, where it's only about the past, then that's just surrendering. If it's one, if it's a few months on the road and then right to the next album, it's sort of a readjustment and reboot. And I think following Songs of Innocence, that was probably a wise move, that the album's great, but it's hard to argue the launch of it went very well. And they were in, they, it was a dangerous period. You know, if the next album that came out and got almost no reception, you know, which is not impossible, they'd be in a bad spot. So instead, they're about to go on the biggest tour of the year. So it's definitely a legacy tour. But you can visit your legacy briefly, and that's fine, I think. Yeah, the the uh, Adam lets out an agonized groan that's actually in the, oh, yeah. in the article too. Is I love the just the extra little touch of detail that uh, you you know you wouldn't always get necessarily to your question about nostalgia and stuff like that. Uh, yeah, it, you you mentioned it, and it's been writing to uh, the the idea of playing the album full through. And do you get the sense that it actually literal will be a literal start to finish thing, or what's your sense from that? I'm very stumped about that because the edge, because the edge basically said that was going to happen. 
though he kind of danced around it. And Adam was very unsure, and Willie had ideas that he wouldn't share with me. <laughs> so <laughs> I just think they're in a sort of a pickle that the album is very front-loaded as far as hits. Mm-hmm. So you have, you know, four songs they play at every show, basically. And then you have, what, seven straight? Most people don't know. I think at a stadium, that could be a problem. And even there's still Joshua Tree songs. I think a lot of people who are going to show up will know zero of those songs. I think at least half the audience will, will, have, will not be familiar with those songs. And so... I guess I'm... I guess, I, don't you think they'll, they'll be familiar with them, though, because everybody has the album, right? Yeah, I, I, I think the counter-argument might be that Roger Waters' wall tour was three years of stadiums and it's two hours of music and there's like four hits and the whole thing just straight through was fantastic and was, was beloved. And I, I think maybe you're right. Maybe I am underestimating it and people know writing to stand still and they know these songs and the way they'll mix it in with the video content, will make it all, it'll, it'll be fantastic. And I, I think it'll work straight through. I just think they're going to get cold feet. They, I think often they plan these things and they get cold feet. They plan yeah. on doing two separate shows for the last tour. They got cold feet. They, you know, they, they rehearsed Drowning Man, you know, for 360 and then they got cold feet. So I worry when they go into production rehearsals, they'll be like, well, how about if we play Pride in the, in the, in the, in the center of it? You, know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can totally see that. So, yeah. Yeah. Or the idea, you know, God, do we play it backwards? You know, but then you then you start then you start with Mothers of the of the Disappeared. <laughs> it's just streets has always been the center of you know a thing they build to. Though they did start with it obviously on the Joshua Tree tour. And that's where I think, like from a fan perspective, it feels like give the fans a little bit of credit, like from the band, like I'm saying to the band, because mm-hmm. you know we 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 being you know those of us who were there and when the Joshua Tree first came around, we're fine with it being opening like that. And and like you said, it's a it's a short tour. Have a little bit of fun, let your hair down, so to speak, and put streets right at the top, and then work your way back from that and figure out how, as this amazing band who puts on an amazing live show, you're gonna do this and pull this off, right? Like, because um, I, I love, I'm the, I'm, I guess I'd be air on the side of being like, let's play the album all the way through and figure out how do we do that, what do we do before, or after, how is that gonna fit into a two hour show when the, band, the album's an hour or whatever. What do we do then? But um, but yeah, like take advantage of the fact, like you said, that it's a it's a short tour. Experiment a little bit. You've sold out the tour. Like people are not going to go away mad uh, if you play Joshua Tree. <laughs> yeah, I think a smart move is maybe to go just to go like chronological. Start with Out of Control or I Will Follow. Uh, you know, play Sunday Bloody Sunday or whatever. Maybe Pride. Then do the album. And then afterwards, do 90s stuff. You know, they can maybe just go straight chronological. They can tell the whole story of the band in sequence. Right. You know, it's a very different band, but but I, I've seen the monkeys do that, where it's 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 just chronological and it's very effective. You know, think, and then the encores are a bit rough, but yeah. Yeah, that's true. The, I, I, I see it. there's I mean, there's tons and tons of discussion about what this set list might look like in our forum. And somebody a few days ago posted what I thought was a really interesting idea, and it's along the lines of what you were just saying, Andy, where, you know, do maybe, you know, seven or eight songs at the start, you know, that are hits, that were that are, you know, the early 80s stuff, maybe mix in, some, I think the person was suggesting, maybe put Beautiful Day in there, uh, you know, something that, you know, that the, the, the casual fan knows. Um, my dream... And this goes back to the Elevation tour. My dream is that they will do, you know, f- the, this group of hits at the beginning. Then they'll play Bad, and then Bad will segue into Streets because that was so brilliant on the Elevation tour. I want to see that again. Oh yeah, <laughs> right. Like how right. amazing was that on the like that on the Boston? Be, yeah. Like like I just I I just watched that little that two song segue from the elevation the Boston Elevation DVD I watched that on a consistent and it just it always blows my mind and gets me all emotional so selfishly that's what I want them to do play the album in full and then yeah I'm with you play you know play some uh, you know a few more songs afterwards from you know whatever time period yeah then do they do any sort of a intermission do you do it on in the midway point of the album at a point It'll be flipped over if it was vinyl. And then it break. It, it's hard to say. I say that I imagine 
a great deal the rest of the set is going to be hits because there's so many obscurities on the Joshua tree, which is what Edge said to me was that, you know, there'd be so many deep cuts we're going to play that there, there probably is not going to be room for other deep cuts. So my dream of a, of a drowning man will have to wait, I think. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, and or, you know, although there's so many good B-sides from the Joshua Tree era, and I just, yeah, I just don't see those things getting into the, into the set list. No, no, I think it's just not going to happen. They might have one slot where they, like you said, they, you know, they insert, insert obscure song here and just do even a snippet of it or whatever, but yeah, yeah the full band treatment doesn't get done necessarily. Give Larry a break. No. I know very little about Bonnaroo. So okay, how does yeah. so how does this fit in with you know U two doesn't do festivals very much and how do they fit this Joshua Tree tour into this existing festival this three night kind of thing? I think it'll be like Glastonbury. I think though somewhat easier because that was the middle of three fifty when they had this crazy stage. I think the stage would be more bare than before, but I think that they're, that they're going to have to just get them on a regular big stage without uh, all the bells and whistles. And there may be a time when they don't do Joshua Tree straight through. I, I forget if it's even billed as such. Uh, it depends on how much time they get. You know, I bet they'll get like a two and a half hour block. Really? Okay. And when, so I, that... and when Springsteen played Bonnaroo, it was in his contract, I think, or it was definitely enforced that no other bands played what he was playing. So, so all their stages were totally empty. So, the, so he had the biggest possible crowd. And there's all their background noise. So it could be a very great moment, a real moment of triumph. Uh, they may be tempted to play a more hits to play a more hits focus set there. Like when Neil Young was doing his Greendale tour, when he played Bonnaroo, he did not do Greendale. You know, so it's not uncommon to sort of to to switch it up. But they can't bring all their screens and stuff. You know, it's just going to be a different thing. It'll be it'll be it'll be, it'll be like Glastonbury. All right. Yeah, I've, yeah. I. Uh, yeah, so well, that's I mean, that, and that kind of was what I was wondering about, like how much of the normal production can they do in you know inside of an existing three day festival? Yeah, and well, when Kanye tried to do his glow in the dark tour at Bonnaroo, it, it it took so many hours to get set up because Pearl Jam played late that the sun was rising when he went on stage. <laughs> so, which is crazy because because the whole thing was based on being in the dark. So. If they get too ambitious, it's just going to take too long, and they don't have time. It's the previous band is done. Maybe half an hour passes, an hour passes, and then they play. So they gotta pare it down. Yeah, it seems like I, I I don't think they'll do this, but it seems like it would be an awesome place if if you think of U two back in the late '80s, where they would have done, you know, a bit of a maybe a political angle to the set list, but it would have been like this is us, and we're trying to get our message across, and not as worried about the hits necessarily. Whereas now, now it feels like you know there's the legacy and the whatever to, to think about, and and not wanting to tick off a bunch of folks who are in this party atmosphere. Um, for yeah, and they're not playing to their audience. It'll be a lot of people that don't really know them, that are much younger, that may not, that may not even like them. So I think they're going to have to really win them over, which will be a good challenge. It's because they're used to no matter what happens with the reception to the album when they walk on stage. They're playing to their fans, and it's really soothing to them. This will be a very different thing. Yeah, and with the set list we were talking about earlier, and, and sort of a bit of the politics—not to get too deep into that—but they've they haven't they definitely haven't shied away from criticism of the current U.S. president. And maybe I can ask this as the token Canadian in the conversation, where it's I'm, I'm not <laughs> loaded one way or the other. But um, do you sense that they'll tone it down when it comes to the actual stage? You know, when they're actually on tour and not. Because you know, we've seen, I know Matt's mentioned, in, you know, from within the forums and stuff, a lot of sort of fans on the conservative side, a little bit more worried about how are we just going to go get blasted because we voted for Trump or whatever. And like, um, and how do you think, what's your sense, I guess, from the conversations you've had with the band over that kind of stuff? You know, it's a very interesting period that, you know, they liked Bill Clinton. They wouldn't, Bono worked with him. Even Bush, at, at the peak of the war and everything, Bono was working with him and was very hesitant to bash him because he would lose access. He would, you know, they, they were working together on debt relief and whatnot. And Obama, too. So it's uncharted territory with a president that has no possibility of working with Bono uh, or caring about his issues. I think... He's going to try and be careful, but I think the bullet wrap will be intense, and I think the message will be that will be America is better that 
it will it is better than this that your values are values that are shared by the whole world and you set the stage for so many things and and you are better than this man i think will be somewhat of the tone i th- i think it'll both it'll, it, i think he'll he will praise america well bashing trump is my right. guess go more the individual as opposed to any sort of political or party i guess attack yeah. or right left or whatever kind of angle yeah 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 it's interesting as i don't know if you're invited or you're going to the tour opener in vancouver but just uh, that's where i'm going to be and and yeah. again coming where they're they have set this up as a bit of like because of trump because of what's going on in britain and whatever all this stuff but opening the show in canada which is probably for business reasons and taxes or whatever but um how they'll set that you know they're obviously trying to they'll practice or whether they see it as a practice or not but like before they get come down to the states doing it in canada where the canadian crowd won't be as interested in we're very aware, obviously, of what goes on in, in the U.S., but it's not our, air quotes, problem, <laughs> so to speak. So <laughs> how, you know, receptive the audience is to some sort of bullet rant that's, yeah, anyways, it'll be interesting, I guess, to see how that all plays out. Yeah, yeah, I'm very curious. Because yeah, this is the second straight tour, right, that the opening night is in Vancouver. Um, yeah. Andy, do you have any, like, are there business reasons for that? Or, or is Yeah, it- I know the Stones launch every, they, 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 they always rehearse there. I think you set up shop there because to get the tour launched takes a long time, and you you set up shop there with your with your managers and everything for a matter of weeks. And I think there's definitely tax reasons and and business reasons why that's advantageous. And there's venues there. I think it's I think it's really also a stadium that they could use for like two weeks or something to have to test the stage and stuff. Uh, but there's definitely it's it's the same reason why movies film in Vancouver and pretend. That it's America, you know. There, there, there's just tax incentives that I don't fully understand, but are definitely there. Mm, okay. Plus, there's Tim Hortons. So. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. Edge, Edge is a huge Tim Hortons fan, from what we've. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, Andy, back, like, I mean, you, you, you know, as a journalist, you know how this used to work. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you two would announce a tour. Everything would be coordinated. You know, this month we're going to be on the Rolling Stone cover. Next month we're going to be on the Q magazine cover. You know, then we're going to be, you know, NBC, you know, CBS, MTV. And there's just this whole, you know, this whole sort of scheduling and, and, you know, this campaign kind of thing. Does that still go on? Is it, I mean, I get the sense that it's all different now because, you know, here you had these three very popular interviews that hit the web before they went in the magazine um if i i don't think it's the cover of the current rolling stone right it's just it's inside uh, is yeah. where it's featured so does it, how has the like how how has the promotion changed for this kind of thing well i think that this is a unique animal and it's just a tour when there's a new album being sold it's a different deal usually because this tour is sold out so as I think it's pretty sold out, so their incentive to go push it hard is sort of reduced. And if they do a huge press push now, that will minimize the impact of the push for, as for the next album, which is the thing that they really want to sell. So I think they're going to hold their fire. They're going to hold back Bono. And they don't want to sort of waste, you know, to waste a big opportunity to get lots of press now. So I think they sort of did the minimal stuff they can do. And then when it's time for songs of experience, presuming that ever happens, that there'll be a lot more coverage and they'll do a right. whole push because they'll go on Fallon, you know, they'll do the whole deal. Right. So uh, you're right. So, so, so if they did this, if they did this big full on assault now, they'd be less likely to get the same level of coverage. Yeah. That you, you know, only have only opportunities at covers and stuff. Yeah. So, you know, they want Jimmy Fallon weak, you know, they, they, they own the biggest impact because there's a finite number of seats at concerts, obviously, but there's no limit to the A when a record you can sell. So, you know, they want to they, they want to keep their powder dry for the album is my guess. And they've, kind of, they've sort of alluded to and hinted at, and this is maybe, like you said, some of the Bono, uh, what do you call it, filibustering, <laughs> where the, the way the new album is going to come out is, you know, is going to be amazing and life-changing to all of us or something uh and and but in your conversation with adam he seemed resigned almost to having a hit on the radio does do you think the band 
measures success based on radio airplay still, or or is that not really a focus of, of yeah. modern I promotion? I think there's differences in the band, but I think they still believe, maybe to their own detriment, that they can have a beautiful day again. They can have a vertigo. Right. And those came out, you know, it may feel recent to them, but that was a long, that, those were a long time ago, and the industry has changed so much. And some of my least favorite songs are sexy boots and these songs where they tried to get radio play from. So um, I think the odds of a rock band in their mid-50s having a radio hit is virtually zero at this point. Um, and if you chase that, it might you wind up pleasing nobody. The hardcore fans don't like the song that you're made for the radio, and the casual fans, they don't even hear it. So I sort of wish sometimes they'd be more like Depeche Mode or something and just sort of make the album and not really overthink everything and not worry too much about having a radio hit and recognizing that we have our fans. We can always tour. We, you know, we can still sell a ton of records, but our era in the sun, our era having hits is probably over and just sort of accept that. And if anybody doubted Andy's fan card, there it is right there. Because I think I think the vast majority of our listeners and readers would uh, would feel the same way as you. Yeah, it does. Yeah. It just it seems so unlikely in this era. And a lot of fans say, you know, look at what is on the charts. Why would you want to be in with that? You know, with that garbage, yeah. right? And they shattered the record from "I Will Follow" to "Vertigo." was what that was 26 years or something the stones had what 15 years of scoring hits from satisfaction to start me up or something i mean they broke the record they are in the hall of fame 10 times over for, for all that that you know it's a weird comparison but i've interviewed john mellencamp a lot and he told me that when his hit stopped in the 90s he was angry all the time and he kept trying it was just full of frustration it was, it was miserable then the 2000s, he just gave up, and he, he made albums for himself. And he said that, that it got better, and his life got better, and, 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 and the stress went away. There's times you have to just stop fighting and just sort of just try and make great art and realize that everybody has their moment in the sun, and it ends. But that, that doesn't mean you're dead. It just means that you're not going to be uh, on the radio in the same station as Justin Bieber in the weekend. You know, It's impossible. Well, um, let's, let's, before we wrap up, let's, uh, tackle a couple other, uh, fan issues. Uh, if, if we, is that okay, Chris, do we have time? <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> as long as, cause that, cause that right there, you know, this idea of going after the radio yeah. hit, that is always a, a hot topic. Um, let's, let's, let's hit on a couple other things. Uh, Andy, the length yeah. of a U2 concert, they usually play what, two hours, 15 minutes, somewhere in there. Um, yeah. And 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 yet, you know, fans will say, why can't they play as long as Bruce Springsteen or Pearl Jam or whoever? Yeah, well, Bruce is a freak of nature that he can. Isn't he? Right. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that's the result of a personal trainer and not having sugar or fat since like the 80s and, <laughs> you know, and just being insane. Um, I think you two, they have to pace themselves. And I think that Bono would like have a heart attack on stage if they played four hours. And I just think that's not feasible. So, you know, I, I, I'd always like a show too. It'll be longer. I just don't think that's in the cards. What about, let's, uh, what about the, the set lists during, we kind of touched on this a little bit, um, about, you know, what they should play and all that sort of stuff, but what about the, you know, the idea that it doesn't change enough over the course of a tour? Yeah. I think that's a problem. I think often to the band, the story of the concert tells a story, but it's kind of a thread that only Bono understands and is following. So he thinks, oh, it's crucial. This follows this, that follows this and follows this. And the lights turn red and that means this. And I think they spend too much time thinking about this, the themes and messages when no one really cares about that stuff. So I, and I think they're also that they're so tied to these lighting cues and video cues that it's hard to change it up on the A stage. Um, so yeah, I would love to see that set list change a lot. I wish they'd be more flexible with that. Didn't, was it you, like, I can't remember who it was that, that was on tour, like within the last, I don't know, year or two or three, 
But I could swear that you started tweeting about – I don't know if it was like Neil Young or Bob Dylan yeah. or something like that. It was somebody that like hadn't changed their set list in like yeah. years or something like that. Does that ring a bell? It was that Neil Young in like 2015 when he was doing so many rare songs constantly. Okay. Was that, was that it? Well, I'm not sure what exactly you're referring to. Well, I just, I just, I, I just remember you sending out a tweet about, you know, one of these, you oh, know. Oh, it was Bob Dylan. Yes, yeah. Bob Dylan had the set that didn't change for many years, and the fans were going completely insane. <laughs> so we have it yeah. pretty good relative to Dylan fans, I guess, is what you're saying. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But the Dylan fans have been tortured for a long time. <laughs> Yeah, because half the set was covers. It was these weird Sinatra songs that he was doing, okay. and it was really getting torturous. Don't tempt Bono. You probably yeah. lost it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, there is. I would say there is the hardcore. There is. I know from joining recently, joining well a year ago, joining at U two, and seeing getting a peek into some of the the fans' uh, passion over the set list and figuring out the story and all that kind of stuff, like you alluded to. Like, I guess I'll, I'll step in as defense for them a little bit. Not that I, I agree with you, though, that majority of fans don't really care why Bolt Blue, Blue Sky is after that song and they just want right. you know a, a good experience that night and don't get the whole like spiritual line through the whole thing uh, from start to finish and the heart of darkness in the middle and all that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, it's it's an interesting dilemma that I think... I would love to, I wish they would, uh, well, invite you along. Rolling, I, well, I wish they'd invite me along, but I wish they invite Rolling Stone along to some of that process of the set list decisions and stuff. Cause I mean, there isn't, there's only so many more tours they're going to be doing. And, right. uh, and to have another book like Flanagan's book, you know, walking us through some of that stuff or even a few would be awesome, I think. But yeah, I think the key thing to remember is the show's meant to be seen once. And the freaks like us that go over and over and over again are not what they're really thinking about a lot of the time. <laughs> yeah. They're aware we're there, but they're not catering to us. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. That's fair. Yeah. yeah. Andy, Andy, how many, uh, how many Joshua tree shows are you going to see? At least four. And when you, and when you, when you go, Oh, you're okay. You are going to Vancouver. Uh, it'd yeah. be great. If, if we get a chance to say hello in person, that'd be awesome. Yeah, when you go, when you, when you go to these shows, do you, are you, I mean, you're, you're there as press, I would assume, or at least some of them, like, do you have to stay with like up in the press box or are you down on the floor or like, how does no, that all work? They give us, um, seats. I get a really, they give us really good seats if we are reviewing the show or just going. So I usually get two tickets for the shows and they're usually pretty good. It's a very nice perk in the job. And then when they play the garden or something, they have a whole pre-show room where you go with, with a bunch of people. I mean, I, 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 I have a sort of funny story, right? So I go to the eighth show and I'm with a bunch of my coworkers and they give us passes to this pre-show area. It's just, it's just some big room with like appetizers and free and free booze and stuff. And I'm, I'm back there and they're, they're publicists taps me on the shoulder and it's like the band wants to like see you. And I'm like, I'm like, okay. You know, because basically by that point, I'd written maybe 30 articles about the tour. Just every morning when they'd bring out kids to sing with them or something, I would do a post about it. I kept interviewing them. Um, so I'm taken backstage and I'm walking past all these areas full of VIPs. You see, like, there's one VIP room and there's a smaller one. And it's, it's this whole crazy world. And they take me. I'm outside the band's dressing rooms. And there's security there. And they told me to just wait there. And I guess inside was Bruce Springsteen and the Clintons were talking to the band. So I'm just standing there. I'm waiting <laughs> to be brought in. <laughs> and the show's going to start soon. It's supposed to start in like five minutes. And I'm, you know, really anxious to get to my seat because I, I, I can't miss the opening song. You know, I'm crazy. And I was in the bowels of the garden. I, I didn't know where I was. So I, I kept saying to the publicist and the security guard, I, I'm, like, I, I'm like, look, do, do you mind if I just go to my seat? This, 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 this is not a, a, a interview. I don't want to, to, you know, like to keep waiting and then miss the show. And they, <laughs> they say the show can't start t t until they walk out and they're in here. So you keep waiting. I'm like, okay. <laughs> like 10 minutes pass. I'm standing there. The show's starting late. And I'm like, guys, like, like Bill Quinton is in there. He, he will never stop talking. Okay. So like, so 
you know, but and and they, they keep saying no. You know, you you keep waiting. They have to see you, and I'm like, okay, but you know, I, I don't need to talk to them. This is not for a story. And then eventually, I just say, look, guys, I I gotta go. You know, so so uh, <laughs> I left. I, I I just the thought of them walking the stage and just saying hello, and then them watching the show, and then and then me being God knows where, like ten decks, you know, below. I was just going crazy. Uh, so I blew him off and I go to my seat and the show starts and then like two weeks later I get a package from France um, and I, I, I open up there's this huge letter from Bono where he's like Andy we wanted to see you backstage we're sorry that we missed you blah 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 and he drew a picture of himself on it and everything so so I think it was better to you know because just to meet them is no big deal again but but this huge letter you know I framed it so. <laughs> Andy Green, awesome. the, guy, the guy that blew you two off. <laughs> well, uh, I would have waited for hours for anything else, but I just couldn't miss the show starting because I, I, I figured, look, it, this is the eighth night that they would open with something else. <laughs> and that is that is fantastic. I can't tell yeah. if that's proof of your, if that's like a further point for your YouTube fandom card or a doc because you missed a chance to, <laughs> but I guess you get to <laughs> well, talk to them other times. So. I was with them in Vancouver. Yeah. So I, yeah. I, 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 I'd already talked to them and I'm a believer that if I'm not, that if I'm talking to a rock star, but I'm not taping it, then it's just a waste of time. You know, I, I want to interview them yeah. and if it's just social. And and I also knew that after that they'd have to run to the stage, so it would be, it would be one second, you know. Because Chris, started, yeah. Chris, I I have it. Chris, we'll we, we'll dock him five points for blowing off you two, but we'll give him five hundred points for getting a letter and package from them a yeah. couple weeks later. <laughs> yes, yes, it, exactly. It, it, it was on a stationary. It was very cool. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right well i think that's a great spot to wrap up on that story and we really okay. appreciate you coming on on the podcast andy and uh Thank look you, forward andy. to uh hopefully catching up with you in vancouver and seeing reading i guess your reviews of the show and uh and your assessment of the balance of new and old songs in the, yeah, in the set I list can't and, wait and there's still a chance for acrobat i can <laughs> exactly. feel it there's a slight chance for acrobat and it'll be my proudest moment is that can we uh, speaking of YouTube fandom? One last question, I guess. Are you on the Acrobat side or the Drowning Man side? Is of, of those two, which if you had to pick one, is Acrobat? I'd, I'd, I'd rather hear Acrobat. Okay, well, there you go. We got that on on record now. So yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much, Andrew. Right. Again, and uh, great. That was that. You again. Yeah, of course. That was fun. So thank you, guys. Thanks, Andy. All right. Bye. hope you enjoy that interview andy actually sent us pictures of the letter he got from bono so if you want to check that out visit goodstuff.fm slash atu2 slash 50 we'll have uh, the photos there for you see you next time